The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then the Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 112, continuing our positional previews for the 2022 fantasy baseball season, heading to the shortstop position, which is absolutely loaded, but as you'll find out shortly, Toby and I were joking before, it gets dry quick for some weird reason, but uh, we'll get to all that shortly. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick, and my co-host already hinted at him, as always, on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, man? We're doing great, Bubba. I mean overwhelming uh, support for the audio changes to the podcast gotten some good feedback Um, you know a lot of dms about how my voice really just is incredible um, and makes people's day so 
Make that's what day. that's what I'm going with. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nobody has actually DM'd me that, but we have gotten good. We good have gotten feedback. good feedback on the yeah. audio. So I'm going to keep just blasting with this mic right in my face right here. Um, so for you, those of you on YouTube, I apologize. I know you want to see my beard, <laughs> but you're just going to have to deal with a little bit of my nose and my eyes. All right. You have very, very good eyes when it comes to fantasy analysis. It keeps me locked Ooh. in. Oh, good. dang. That very was good. good. That was good right there. Holy when you, cow. When, when you're blessed with a voice for radio and a look for nobody else, you know, you have to have, you have to have, you have to have kind words. That's how, that's how my wife got suckered into this whole thing. So it oh, works. Man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fun stuff. We've got shortstop coming up. We've already covered catcher first base, second base. Um, usually we just do the top 10 in ADP. We're going to do 15 because a lot of carryover from second base. So we won't really touch on those guys as you will find out. But as always, before we get into the each player we discuss, Toby, what is your strategy for shortstop? I kind of hinted at it earlier. It's like, you know, right now I'm, I'm using ADP since January 19th. It gives us about 18 drafts, give or take. And uh, the top eight shortstops go in the top 50 picks. So it's like yeah. it's deep, but it goes quick. So what's your strategy? Yeah, you know, it's a really fascinating position because it's the deepest position and it has the most elite talent like you just mentioned. But the question is, like, how, where are you getting, quote unquote, perceived value? Like when I think about value as the difference between, you know, ADP or the cost and dollar value versus what somebody's going for in the draft, while shortstop is definitely deep and also as a product of the fact that it is so deep and it is so good and so many guys are higher up on the draft board, there isn't a ton of, quote unquote, value or perceived value difference between a lot of the players. And I think for that reason, I actually find myself waiting for a little bit. I mean, there's a couple of factors, right? Is I tend to be a little bit more pitching heavy, you know, so, and, and the shortstops are going fast and furious. You know, you're also looking for it to get your closers early, you know, this year. And that's something that I've been doing as well in my drafts. So haven't had a ton of opportunity uh, to really draft shortstop. And it is, it is a fascinating position, I think, for that reason, because really throughout you can look at the the whole, like when I look at kind of the column and I have some conditional formatting. So I got like my greens are popping, you know, those are the good values. I got my reds, which are kind of like the stay aways a little bit. Um, you know, there's not a ton of green. There's a lot of yellow. There's some heavy instances of red that I'm looking at and my spreadsheet. And so really, I think for me, like what I've found myself doing a lot is actually because I'm prioritizing pitching, because I'm prioritizing the closers, I just, ha I, I really haven't gotten a lot of those shortstops. Now I think in, I do, I do have one share of Tatis Jr. Um, who for me is, would, would be the number one player, you know, would be the number one player. I think pretty clearly if he didn't have the shoulder issues, That's I think fair. the shoulder issues are enough, right? So that our boy Trey Boo Boo, Trey uh, Boo. not to be com com confused with, sorry, I think I just confused them. You did. Trey Boo Boo, Boo, Boo. Just like, it's like Trey Boo Boo Jr. He's Trey, a Trey Boo Boo Trey. Jr. This is Yogi. Trey, Trey Boo Boo middle infield <laughs> is, um, uh, you know, like, you know, it's close enough where you, you maybe want to be on the safe side. But I do have Tatis. I got him at four in one draft. So this is all a long way of saying I actually find myself waiting on shortstop and not grabbing one of the elite guys. I can definitely see why you would want to do that. Um, and then kind of going after kind of this, there's a really nice middle infield grouping. You know, we've talked about some of the guys, but 
you know, kind of your Polanco's, Baez, Chisholm, you know, those types of types of players I've been a little bit more into. And then even falling further back, I've gone, I've got some teams where Miguel Rojas is my, is my starting shortstop. Um, and so the beautiful thing about fantasy baseball, right, is you don't need to have an elite shortstop to have the best team, right? You don't have to have any one particular way of doing things or any one particular player. What you're really trying to do is build the best overall team. And so I think it's important to have that in mind as you build your shortstops, because I think it's really easy to fall into a situation where you're like, oh my God, I don't have a shortstop. I need to get one of these really good guys. And maybe that's not the best build, or maybe that's not the thing that your team needs the most of at that moment of time in the draft. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's helpful at all, but I really think, you know, it's super deep. We all know that it's super good. There's so many good players there but that doesn't mean you need a super good player at the shortstop position. You need a guy that fits your team construction. Well, you need a guy who can produce some, some value for you, you know, do better than what you drafted. And I'm not sure going after some of those elite guys is going to be the best way to do that. Although there are some really, really good players there. There's a lot of good, really, really big nuggets you put there. Like, for one, I can make the joke, of course, there's no SS in team, so you don't have to have a, a stud shortstop. You know, there you is, go, there's not. Yeah, if you want to go, I'm going to go to dictionary.com. I'm going to check this double out. Check for Just me. Double checking. There's no SS, there's no so, double S in team. There we go. We're there good. we go. So you got to build a perfect team, like you said. And it kind of, and it's a good point to keep reminding people because we talked about it like in the review shows and stuff that, um, and, and something we both admitted we need to be better at when you're building your team. It's like, you don't have to always focus on filling like the starting roster out. Sometimes getting that next best player on the bench and then coming back and getting someone later makes your team better. And that's the same thing in a shortstop. Like I said, eight, uh, the top eight shortstops on top 50 ADP. I want to go deeper in that. The top 14 shortstops are in the top 88 picks. Like that is insanity. If you really think about it. And it's one of those in like a 15 team league that's six rounds. And so those are flying off the, if my math's correct, that's six rounds. So yeah, it, that that's quick. That's real quick. So it's one of those, if you blink, you're kind of like, like Toby said, if you go two pitchers, you get a closer, maybe you get a catcher, that's four rounds. Now you throw in, you know, like you really quickly running out of shortstops and it's not the end of the world. Um, I think when mm-hmm. we talk about some of these later picks we like, uh, the, their options, the reason why a lot of these shortstops gets get put up early is because of stolen bases. That's a big thing. Um, there, there's some five category studs, but after like the first handful, like Justin Mason pointed out to me when I was, I gave him a hard time and I mentioned about Cedric Mullins the other day. So of course he enters the chat <laughs> and um, he said, like, I believe it was steamer or the bat. There's only like five players projected to go 2020. Mullins is one. The other four guys are basically three shortstops and like, I think uh, J Ram. So like they're all in the top five picks ADP. So it, it just goes to show you that you're really paying for certain commodities where if you build your team properly, like Toby said, it's not the end of the world. It really makes me want to go back and look at, I've done like 10 drafts or so. And I'm really curious because I'm in one right now where I got my first share of Boba Shett at pick five. Boba Shett? Yeah. Big Bo. Boba Shett. Like Boba Fett. I haven't seen that show yeah. yet. I'm waiting to binge it. I'm waiting to binge it. I, ha- I so haven't excited. seen it. I haven't so seen excited. it. I haven't even seen Mandalorian. Bubba. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, oh, we got to talk about that. Holy I'm waiting for my, my son's like eight. Oh, see, uh, and we watched fair. one episode that's and fair. I was like, eh, I think this might be a little that's bit. Fair. That's fair. Too much. You, you can, he's close at least. You don't have to wait. Like, you know, my, my daughter's eight, 
19 months old. So I got a long ways to go for that. There you go. Um, but uh, there's, there's different ways to do it. Like there is a, a, a comfort factor of getting like a tray or a Tatis, a Bichette early knowing, okay, I got this here and I can kind of approach later. And then there's the point you mentioned, like, do I have to force my hand? Cause you mentioned that pocket of Baez and Chisholm and Polanco. It's still in the top six rounds. So it's like, you're still having to kind of, you're not forcing your hand, but you're kind of in your head going, I, I got to get one of these or, is it Miguel Rojas? Is it Ahmed Rosario? He's not bad. We're going to talk about him later. Like there, there's there's a lot of options, like Toby said. I think it's a very important part to mention, and I won't keep blabbering about it, but I think it's key that we talk about so much of how great the shortstop position is, you know, get these guys early, do all this stuff. There's other ways to go about it. There really are. So it's just in the back of you, because unless you're drafting at the front of the draft, you're not going to get one of the big shortstops. So now you're either getting a pitcher or an outfielder. You're going to bring it back. You're going to get either another pitcher, maybe an outfielder, maybe an Albies, something like that. There's your first two picks. Now you have four more rounds to get the top 14 shortstops. So you got to start picturing it in your head. Like, where am I building? That's that's kind of the fun of these discussions. And we've talked about it uh, multiple times. Is kind of plan your draft, like work from the backwards forward, whatever, just so you know what you need to do so you're not really forcing things. And the depth in that way, use the depth of shortstop to benefit you, not force your hand, but benefit you. So kind of learn this position and, and use it to your advantage. Not like, oh, crap, like <laughs> I need to go get a guy now. There's so much more to go. Speaking of all that, we won't talk about the first guy because Trey Boo Boo, West Coast Trey Boo Boo. There's an Eastern oh, West, man. West Holy Coast, moly. California love Trey Turner. Um, we talked about him last week. He's still number one. Hasn't changed. Don't think it's going to change a whole lot. I do kind of agree with you. The number two guy, Fernando Tatis Jr., going up about ADP 2.22. I agree with the if the shoulder wasn't an issue, he's got so much more power. He's still going to run a ton. I get it. The projections don't care about the injury, and that's because it's not really their job to go compare, care about injuries. This is where you have to kind of sit there and adjust playing times how you see fit. But like even the bad X 142 games, ATC 142. You know, 44, 45 homers, um, 24 steals, just amazing stats. Like, there's not really a whole lot to pick apart with that piece outside the shoulder. So what do you got on him? Yeah, I mean, I won't spend a lot of time here or else we'll be here all night. But I have Tatis uh, Jr. by more than $4 as the best player on the board based on his projection, um, which, you know, my I weigh the bad X a little bit more. Um, but... I mean, he's fantastic. He's great. There's nothing really to quibble with. I think in the profile, um, he just mashes, he crushes. So I think there's, you know, I think there's every, like if you feel good about the shoulder and I think there's a very clear argument about the shoulder that the shoulder is not going to be worse than it was last year. Right. And theoretically, theoretically, I'm not I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not Dave McDonald. I'm not Dr. Dave, the fantasy baseball doctor. Did you listen to to the podcast? Uh, I did not. You have to. I'll tell you off the air. Well, I I won't say that you have to listen to it. Okay. It's some. What is it on? It's uh, the Draft Champions podcast. It's some of Zach Zach Waxman's best work he's ever done. Okay. Um, I will check it out. Um, uh, I'm not a doctor. So don't listen to me on this at all. But, you know, I think the argument is last year he had the injury. He injured it twice during the year and he was still able to put up just absolute monster numbers. And so if you, hi- if you think that the injury will not get worse, right? 
You will not have another subluxation or whatever you say, because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> then I think there's every reason to draft him first overall. Because not only that, I mean, he's second, he's shortstop. He's also got the additional outfield eligibility, which is nice, which I think is really nice, right? Mm-hmm. Outfield is not, I like outfield actually. I do like outfield, but it's not as deep as maybe we've thought of it in the past. And so he's got that dual position eligibility going for him. I think he's the best fantasy baseball player um, right now. I mean, even if, even if Acuna, was in the draft and healthy and everything, I would still go with Tatis, I think. Um, and for that reason, like I have no problem that people want to take him number one. Yeah. He's definitely a high risk because he hasn't had the surgery, but I'm with you. Like the dude, even when he came back, he adjusted his swing and was still freakish good. The hardest part for him is I'm like the swing has, has hurt him a few times. I'm more worried about him diving and doing stupid things like that just because he's young and that's his, game like you just play hard that's just the way it goes so that's the part i'm concerned with but it's one of those you know if he stays healthy for even 130 games he's probably out producing most of the league um and if you somehow get 145 to 150 you're probably doing really really well so it's just one of those deals uh do you want to take the risk the the reward's very very good so just kind of know that won't go in there's obviously other players throughout the early draft that's very very risky and the reward might not be as great but uh, Tatis he brings that for sure so uh, I got no problem with that at all the third shortstop off the board going to ADP five so three in the top five there's going to be a trend of all these guys going early Bo Bichette the aforementioned Bo Bichette you know come out 29 homers 25 steals 121 runs 102 RBIs 298 batting average the average has never been a question for him. The power, we knew it was there. It really ballooned this last year. Everything was phenomenal. But everything was great for the the Jays in general. Projection sites have him as a 2020 type guy. Hit with a good average again. I don't have a whole lot more to add about Bo. I know there could be regression coming into play. That's very clear. No Simeon to probably get on base for him. The one caveat I will mention, um, uh, Mr. Armbarn himself, um, Ryan, mentioned uh, the – the ballpark factors. It was very interesting. Like the Giants, I believe, was 25th in baseball last year, and um, Toronto was like 26 or 27, something like that. Mm. But that's not Dunedin and, and Buffalo is Toronto because they put in a humidor. Remember that. But that goes to show you also how good the Toronto offense was because it did not stop them. So Boba Shet's a freak. I love him. Will there be some regression? Most likely. That's why I made the comment about Jazz Chisholm being a Boba Chet light, but uh, the average is. Tough to beat. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's uh, Bichette's another one where it's hard to quibble with what with it. I think the major determinant of his value will be the steals. You know, he had twenty five last year. He was twenty five of twenty six last year, and you might be like, "Oh man, that's amazing!" You know, he's going to replicate that. But we know that you know stolen base success rate is not sticky year to year. Um, and prior to this year, you know, he had eight stolen bases and five caught stealing. So he was eight for 13. So if he falls back closer to that level of success, you know, maybe he doesn't steal as much. Uh, he doesn't end up with as many steals. And I think when you look at the varying projection systems, you know, the bat has him at 15 stolen bases, you know, zips has him at the most at, at 25, um, ATC has him at 21. So that's like the major, I think, question. Everybody's pretty close on like the 25 to 30 home runs. 
you know, he was right in his wheelhouse for home run per fly, per, per fly ball rate. You know, he had the 20, 29 home runs, 50 barrels. There's nothing strange there. His max EV was the highest that it had been at 115.5, you know, which is up like six miles per hour, which is pretty incredible. So like the power potential is, is definitely there. Um, and then you could see that ground ball rate going down, giving him a little bit more power, you know, taking away a little bit from the batting average maybe as well. So I think the overall package, you mentioned some of the lineup changes that may hurt him a little bit. You know, we don't know what that lineup will end up looking like, but this is all to say, I think Bichette is really good. He's a fine first round pick. I think the major question is just going to be whether the same level of, uh, he has the same number of steals as he did this past year. And I think I'm skeptical that he'll hit that again. I think the question is, is he like a 30, 20 guy, a 25, 20 guy, or is he closer to that 15 number that the bad X has him for? Yeah. I opened up the uh, baseball forecaster while you're talking. Cause I, I, I love everything HQ does. I read their articles religiously and, um, the, uh, like the X stolen base stats they have and all these different metrics, you know, stolen base attempt percentage and, and all this stuff that I just, you know, it's all in one spot for you. It's very, yeah. very nice. Great um, publication. It's phenomenal. Like I, I try not to kiss up to too many companies cause I like a lot of them, but like literally they just do awesome stuff. So, um, so yeah, last year, like 29 homers, 25 steals, as we talked about, but his X home runs was 34. So he underachieved there potentially his X stolen base is 19. So it's like you said, like, you know, regression and they haven't projected for 29 homers and 23 steals next year. I don't know how you project X stats like this Toto. So I'm just going to read what they have. They have 32 homers. They expect more home runs, but similar to what you're saying, the, you know, their projection is 23 steals. Their X steals is 14. Mm. So it's one of those, if he does kind of drop, as you're saying, like there's a big difference. I'm still, I've always been a 2020 type guy with him. That's just been my, my mantra. Could things change for sure? The one good thing is we know Toronto runs. There's no sugarcoating that. Simeon runs. Teoscar even runs a little bit. Uh, Bichette runs. They're going to let their guys run. That that That's a good thing. We'll see to what extent. And all it takes for a guy like Bichette is one little boo-boo, and they're going to slow that down real quick because they need him in that lineup. So that's the thing. It's like he's young. He stays healthy. That's all fine and dandy. If he like jams a finger or does something goofy, like you wouldn't be shocked if that kind of slows down a little bit. So that's something to keep in mind as well, because like you said, you're drafting him here at five, expecting that like 20, 25 steals. If that comes back a bit, still a great player, but maybe more of a back end round one, round two type, like an Ozzy Albies type potentially. And you're taking him 10 to 15 picks sooner. So stuff like that, just in the back of your head. I still think he's great, but that's kind of the, the risk when you're weighing things out there. All right, the fourth shortstop off the board. And honestly, it's great that he's kind of getting love finally. Because I think it's been so many. We've done this for what is like our third season, fourth season. I can't keep track. Maybe third season. Um, Tim Anderson is now the fourth shortstop off the board, which he used to be like a sleeper pick for us, or like it was just ridiculous. He's going to ADP around thirty-five, give or take. And the dude's outstanding. Hit uh, three hundred nine again last year. It's three straight years over three hundred. Seventeen homers, eighteen stolen bases. Literally. What he does year in, year out, Bubba Shet, just going to say it. Maybe the runs in RBI is a little lower, but your power, your speed, your average, Bubba Shet, everybody. 30 picks later. What do you got, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I love I love Tim Anderson. He's, um, 
I mean, three straight years of 300 average or better. That's so critical. I mean, it's not just a high batting average. I mean, anything over 300 where you're getting the number of plate appearances that he hopefully is going to get, um, is really nice. I mean, that's the one thing that I'd say is, you know, the plate appearances, I know, you know, the projections right now, the bad X has them at 623 plate appearances. I know it's using the ATC projections. So ATC has 623 steamer has 692, you know, so I think a lot of, a lot of it depends on those plate appearances because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't hit that 600 plate appearance mark in the last two full seasons. And he's only the max plate appearances he's had in any season is 606 half glass, half glass full. You're like, well, you know, he gets beat up. He's not able to play a full season. Wait, how does it go? Has glass glass, half half empty, half half full is he's just waiting for that first year where he gets, because there's no reason in that lineup, you know, he plays every day. Like some of these guys, he gets seven or plate appearances. He He could could hit that steamer projection. He could be 30, 30 if he played a full season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So he's very good. I mean, the power numbers aren't quite, you know, what they are from the elite level guys. The stolen base numbers aren't necessarily at the same elite levels, but you are looking at a 2020 guy if he does play a 600 plate appearance, you know, plus season. So he's really good. There's, I don't really have many or any concerns um, about Anderson. You know, he's really good. You know, 32 barrels last year for those, what was it, 17 home runs. You know, it was his highest barrel for a full season, you know, and it's two consecutive years of kind of an elevated barrel rate, which is really nice. But, I mean, the guy just, he hits, he has a really high average, he's in a great lineup. You know, everything's really positive for Tim Anderson. So don't mind, don't mind him at all. It's all about the health. Uh, he's one of those guys, if I have a back end of a, of a like round one pick, like, 10 to 15, I pray he somehow falls to be in round three. It doesn't really, like, if you look at his ADP, he's not going to probably, but you know, 35, that's the fifth pick in round three in a 15 teamer. It could happen depending on where you are. And in a 12 teamer definitely can happen. So like if somehow I can get a couple studs earlier than him in my third round, I'm pretty happy about that. Again, like we talked about earlier, you don't, you don't have to force your hand, but He's one of those guys that could be a first-round value if he stays healthy. So 100% on board with you on that one. Another guy that's been a first-round value many years, had a down year last year, and he's homeless at the moment, is Trevor Story. Coming out 24 home runs, 20 stolen bases, 251 average. So some similarities to Tim Anderson, massive bag and average drop. But previous years, 289, 294, 291. There was a lot of things. Babbitt just dropped tremendously last year. But uh, he's going about a half a pick after Tim Anderson. So they're going right next to each other. He's been falling a bit in the last month or so because there's just, you know, questions on where he's going to be. And that's just kind of the way things go. Pitchers move up. Questions move down. He's a question. Uh, what's your thoughts on Trevor's story? I have zero shares so far. Yeah, I haven't. I don't have any shares of story. It's less about story. I actually think yeah. that he's, I think he's a pretty great where he's going right now. And he's actually moving up in drafts. Over the last two weeks, he's actually... Um, hopped over Tim Anderson or he's tied exactly with Tim Anderson at, at 34.5 um, for his ADP. So I think he's starting to get a little love. I mean, the thing that's interesting about story is, you know, you look at him compared to, so say a Bo Bichette. you know, chances are, you know, in the last one, two, three, in the last three full seasons, Trevor story has gone 2020. 
Um, and he's cleared that mark by a, a decent margin. You know, he had only had the 20 steals last year, although he was down under 600 plate appearances, but he had 23, 27, and then over 30 home runs. Now, part of that, a little bit of that is cores. And I know people are kind of like docking him points for being out of cores, but I mean, the guy's got legit power. We see that through the stat cast metrics. The guy has legit speed. We through that see that through the stat cast metrics and just his ability to continue to steal um, quite successfully. So again, um, I think that the ma- the one question is the batting average, right? And you know, he had the much lower BABIP than his career average at 293. Is his BABIP going to be hurt a little bit by moving outside of cores? Probably, right? Um, but you know, the question is really how much. And so I think that's the main question mark. But when you think about his floor essentially being what it was last year of a 251 average, you know, in 2020, um, theoretically in a better lineup, you know, hopefully I'm sure he'll sign with a winner. I don't think a losing team is going to sign him probably. You know, I I think there's a lot, there's a, there's a really nice floor there for a story. And I think there's a really high ceiling. And for a guy who's pretty much the same player, I think that he's been since, you know, for since he was going as a first round pick, you know, last year. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's a really nice pick right here. Yeah, no, I have no problems with story. I have problems, I guess, drafting because I don't trust. I want to see where he goes, I guess, at that point in the draft. But yeah, I agree with what you said. He's, um, I think he's rather safe, as you could say. A- average should rebound. Power speed's pretty darn legit. So I'm uh, with you there. I know there's speculation a fun team for him to go to would be Anaheim. That'd be really interesting. So uh, we'll see we'll see how that all pans out. I mean, that'd be great. A decent park for him. A lot of oppo- opposite field home runs. Flick it out. He can do that very, very well. So I don't mind that at all. We're going to skip Marcus Simeon. Talked about him last week at the second base show. The one question I do Overrated. have Overrated. Well, that answers my question. No, I'm just kidding. I love Marcus Simeon. I mean, he seems like just a great dude, so I shouldn't be doing that. But um, And he's going, He's go, like last two weeks, he's he's at pick 45. Back yeah, yeah, he's, he's falling. That's been, that's been the discussion. People are, that's the discussion of late. Now he's becoming worth the draft price. People are saying. Yeah. I, I think he's being drafted appropriately right now. I had a question about it on on Twitter from somebody who is actually in, I think he's in, he, yeah, he's in, um, uh, uh, it's Edwin Turnage. He's yes. in one of my leagues right now. And I think he picked up Semyon in the draft. We're in at pick 51, uh, 50, 49. And he was just asking me about it. And I think that's like right around where my spreadsheet has him going as like the 51st player overall. And that's kind of that's kind of the the question I was going to say is, you know, when we talked about him before, he was like a third round pick, but now he's fallen fourth, fifth round. Is that becoming more reasonable? I, I in the fifth round, I'd be willing to to discuss the situation for sure. Uh, the seventh shortstop off the board at pick forty eight between forty eight and forty nine these days is Xander Bogarts. Um, he's one of the guys you know you know team boring. He's kind of team boring, but he's just team awesome. 295 average last year. He's with 300, 309, 288, 273, 294, 320. He hits for a great average year after year after year. 23 homers last year. It's 20 or more homers in three of the last uh, three full seasons. Chips in a few bags. That's the part. He doesn't steal a ton of bases, but going to continue to hit in the middle of that Boston order. You got Devers. Hopefully Verdugo gets on base. You have Enrique Hernandez, who's very good. Hopefully, um, you know, J.D., can, you know, he's actually better than people, I think, re- realized last year. He, he keeps hitting. Bogarts is in a great spot, but he just feels like he's kind of that blah 
boring guy. What's your thoughts on Bogarts? Yeah, I mean, I think Bogarts is really solid. One of the issues with him last year, I think he really struggled um, through through injury last year. Um, I want to say in the second half in particular. I know he was. I think he was dealing with some hand issues. I've seen. I've heard people talk about it on some podcasts, which which would make sense. But yeah, I mean, just all around solid. I think the biggest issue with Bogarts is you're not necessarily getting. You know, there's not really the elite power. He did have 33 home runs back in 2019, but that's a little bit of an anomaly compared to, you know, everything else. And we know that 2019 in and of itself was kind of a power anomaly um, because of the baseball. And then the steals are, you know, he hasn't hit more than, he hasn't hit double digits there since 2017. And so I think that's the major issue. But if you find yourself, and so I think it's just a question of roster construction and, and, and kind of fit there where, you know, you get into a position where you still have a number of really good players on the board. You're trying to address starting pitching. You're trying trying to address your closer. You're addressing speed. And it's really hard to find yourself having addressed all of that, you know, at that point in the draft where he's going so that you kind of take him. But he's one of these, like, kind of best best remaining players, right, where you feel really confident that he's going to produce – He's not a risk, I think, in that department unless there's some sort of injury. Like, he's going to do well. He's in a great lineup. Um, and so for that reason, like, I, you know, it's totally fine pick. I just think you got to figure that piece out with the stolen bases and 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 the home, and you know, and the home runs is less of an issue. And, and again, like, I mean, there's speed available later on. It just has warts. And one of the warts is batting average. And so if you can address that with Bogarts, then maybe you're, your better position later on. So I think he's fine. I think he's the same guy he's always been maybe with the slight injury hit last year. I expect him to be back to his usual self this year. Yeah. He's just such a tough one because I love the floor you get with the average and the power and all that. It's just, man, you better, like you said, have steals figured out early or you're going to have to like force your hand on a couple other guys. Like I don't ever want to find myself drafting miles straw, but he makes you almost feel like you have to draft miles straw. Not saying you have to, but he kind of puts you in that little corner if you if you miss out on a few more picks after that. So definitely roster construction makes you kind of have to focus on a few more things because you can get steals throughout the draft, but to get quality steals, like you said, that changes quickly. So that's why these shortstops go so soon. That's just part of the deal. So I don't mind Bogarts at all. Uh, it's just I rarely have him on my team because it doesn't fit the way I build my rosters. But there's many weeks that he crushes, and I think, man, I wish I had Xander Bogarts. So it's just that's what he does so well, especially in that Eastern Division. You get some of those weeks with a bunch of lefties he's facing or something. You got that monster in left. Like it's just, are you guys a week at four game set in Baltimore or something? It's, you wish he had Xander Bogarts. That's kind of how it goes. Uh, the eighth shortstop off the board these days, Francisco Lindor. Pick 49, 49 to 50 these days. Rough first season in uh, in New York. 125 games is all he put up. 524 plate appearances, the lowest since his rookie season of 2015. Uh, 20 homers, though. Still got 20 bombs. 10 stolen bases. You know, the lowest of his career in a full season. Uh, just a lot of things did not go well. Hit 230, low Babbitt at 248. That People are optimistic he can rebound. He's good enough to rebound. He's only 28 years old. I don't disagree with that. Just a lot of questions. New York's a tough place to play. Is this a thing that, you know, first year... Uh, you know, even Bryce Harper struggled a bit in Philadelphia's first year. Is this a can you rebound and, and you get a heck of a steal in your draft right now, or you just avoiding Francisco Lindor? 
Yeah, I'm generally avoiding him, which may be which may be a mistake. I mean, we know that he was very recently a first or second round player, you know, as recently as 2019. You know, I think the challenge is, and we've talked about this fairly extensively, you know, obviously he was hit a little bit by the Babbitt bug last year. He hit 248. The line drive rate was low, you know, and we expect that some of those fly balls will become line drives, you know, just because of the variance that happens within line drive rate generally. Um, so he'll go up a little bit, but he's not a high Babbitt guy. I mean, 275, 279, 291, 280, 248. He's pretty, he's pretty below average from a Babbitt perspective. And one of the reasons is because he does hit, you know, a decent amount of fly balls. Um, he doesn't have a great home run per fly ball rate. Um, he had a couple elevated years when the with the bouncy ball. Um, but since then, we have 11.4% and 13.4% for him. You know, you add to the fact that he's in city field now and some of those progressive field home runs, I think, are are not going to go out in city field. Progressive was great for left-handed hitters. Yeah, great. it's a gr- it's a great ballpark um, for left-handed hitters. You know, we had a little bit of the dip in the contact rate, which, you know, that's two consecutive seasons now where he's gone from kind of the mid-80s to the low to high 70s. Whether or not he's going to be able to correct that, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not exactly sure. But I think when you put it all together, what you're getting is a guy who's topped out. I mean, 284 is a great batting average. That's the best batting average he's had in the last five years. You know, 273, 277, 258, 230. You know, are the steals going to be there to the same extent? You know, he's now in his age, you know, he's 28. So he's still relatively young, but we know that those don't generally increase, you know, um, as players get older. Um, so I have a lot of questions, you know, I'm not, I'm not big into Lindor where he's going right now. You know, I obviously think he's going to be better than last year, but I have questions about, you know, what that home run total is going to look like. I have questions about what that batting average, um, is going to look like as well. And, and the steals. So it could just be recency bias creeping up on me and he's going to put together just an absolutely phenomenal season in his second year in New York. But I just think that there are some, it's just not the ideal profile for the environment, I think, um, for me. Yeah, I'm, I have zero shares as of now. It's one of those where he's one of the, the guys, the first one we talked about tonight, where it's like, I could really see him coming back to backfire on me. At the same time, it's like we've talked about guys ahead of him I like a lot. And there's a bunch right behind him that I'm like cool with taking those things and taking my chances elsewhere. So I probably won't have a lot of Francisco Lindor, and that's just the way it's going to go. Like I echo your sentiments; it could bite me in the butt. Just, it just, it could. But um, I'm kind of willing to take those chances in this scenario. That that ballpark, that lineup's better, but there's still a lot of questions. Like that, is that team going to even run? Like, are they going to run? Because if he's only getting you ten or less stolen bases, well, you got a lot of guys coming up here. We can do something with. So it it really changes things quite a bit. So yeah, I'm out on Lindor at this point in time. We'll see how that comes back to get me. Just, just one thing while I'm looking at it right now, and this is, this is not a good thing. If you look at Lindor's 40 game rolling average graph and his contact rates, man, it is ugly. He's essentially been on a downward trajectory since the end of 2019 He kind of peaked in his contact rates. 
And since then, it's like just down, 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 down. The lowest he had last, the the lowest is the end of his 40-game rolling average. He was at 81% in zone and 73.8% in his overall contact rate. That is not a good indication to me at all um, that it's just keeps getting worse. So I'm not sure what the, what's going on there, but that would not be an encouraging sign for me um, to see uh, from a player I was drafting. Yeah, that's not good at all. So that's a good, good call on you to, to find that one. That's uh, you definitely need to see some improvements. I'll, t- I'll tweet it out after the show. Yeah, because that's so, not even, um, that's not even just a you know first year with the Mets thing like you mentioned. That's 2019. That's two years with Cleveland before he went to the Mets. So that's been a downward trajectory, as they say. So very good, very good find on your part. Um, the ninth shortstop off the board around pick 60, 61 right now is the one, the only, Wander Franco. So this is a fun one because people love Wander. You know, he hit 288 last year with a whopping seven home runs and two stolen bases. Big boy stuff there. If you combine his uh oh, oh Baba. Oh yeah. If you combine his minor leagues, he had 14 home runs and seven stolen bases in his 110 games. That's outstanding, people. Um projections have him for you know, you know, 17 to 20 homers, uh, nine stolen bases. The average is what does it for him. Phenomenal average. Doesn't do much else for me. I could be totally wrong. He's super young, a lot of time to develop. But um, he's another guy that I'll let the hype train just climb on up that ladder, and I will go elsewhere with Wander Franco. I will enjoy watching him. This is why I love playing DFS. I can enjoy the good matchups and play him in that regard, but I don't have to play him every single game because there's going to be so many days where it's you know one for three with two walks, no runs scored, and you're just like, sweet. So uh, I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten Franco either. I mean, this is a tough one for me to judge just because we don't have a huge major league, you know, we don't have a, a huge major league sample, right? But nothing he's shown in the major leagues, like like you mentioned, the batting average is going to be the carrying uh the carrying trait. Like, you know, just as an example, you know, um the bat X hasn't projected at 299. 20 home runs, nine steals, 84 runs, and 80 RBI and 621 plate appearances. Now, if he were to hit that projection, and that's the best projection that he has, right? You know, then at his ADP, I have him in my spreadsheet at like 62. Um, what is he at? He's at 64. Like or, okay, I'm at 61 for the last like three weeks. So yeah. 61. So maybe he's fallen even more than probably. Yeah. So he's falling a little bit, but even even that projection puts him right around there, you know, so right around there. And so given that he's, you know, a new player in the league, he's obviously got amazing, phenomenal um, pedigree uh, from a prospect perspective. But, you know, there's nothing that tells me that his power is going to jump necessarily. You know, when you look at his stack cast metrics, you know, 12 barrels, 4.9%. That's not a ton. The seven home runs looks about right for him. Like you mentioned, the steals haven't been off the charts at all. And so I think Wander, like what I imagine is going to happen, right? The, the guy's like going to turn 21 in a month. You know, he's still incredibly young. I imagine the power comes along, but I'm not sure it's going to come along 
next year. Um, you know, maybe a couple years down the road. So that batting average, the hit tool, incredible, like real life player, but I'm not sure in fantasy at this point in the draft, I want to go after him just because like, I don't know, there's, you know, there's relatively similar profiles later on that you could go after, I think. And I'm not sure and famous last words, right. As the guy who poo pooed Vlad jr. Last year, you know, I just don't see the ceiling potential right now for him beyond like a three thirty season where he hits 20 home runs or something like that. I mean, that would be incredible, but I'm not sure I see it. I'm not even sure I see that as nine steals, honestly. At least Vlad showed you power in the minor leagues. Like, like I read off like his minor numbers and compare, like combined his minor league. He just hasn't shown the power and speed to be overwhelming. Like he's still very good. He's very young. It will happen. I believe there'll be a year where we get, 20 to 25 homers and maybe get 10 to 15 steals and and hit three something like it's going to happen someday. I just don't want to pay for it this year. If it happens, I don't think it'll be this year either, but uh, I need to see a little more from him before I really, really buy into uh, what's going on there. Cause there was a point where he kind of was struggling out the gate and then he started to get going. He walks a ton. His play discipline's great for a young player, like amazing stuff. And it might click eventually. Maybe he goes on a tear, I don't see it. Like you even mentioned the stat cast metrics, at least with Vlad, the launch angle sucked, but his hard hit rate and his barrel rates are through the roof. Like we're just not getting that with Wander at all yet. So there's, there's not enough kind of, you know, lining up like the stars aren't aligning enough for Vlad. It was like, you know, it's almost like a big dipper. It's straight, a little crooked and it comes back. Like he just needed that one thing to straighten the whole thing out. You don't really have that with Wander yet. So again, I'm, I'm fine being wrong on things and I'll be wrong on Wander. If he gets it done, kudos to you, Wander. Just don't think it's going to happen. All right, we're going to skip a couple guys here. Javi Baez, talked about him last week. Uh, Jazz Chisholm, I forgot to wear this last week, so I'll wear it this week. It's my Jazz Chisholm shirt. It's going to represent the guy from Rotoware. Oh, nice. But, um, he's uh, he's uh, the twelfth, the 11th shortstop off the board. Yeah, Jorge Polanco, the 12th shortstop off the board. Now we get to a new shortstop. The 13th shortstop. I'm going to make everybody so happy to listen to this because, again, another guy I'm not drafting anywhere in drafts. It's Corey Seager as he is getting drafted at pick 86-ish, give or take, these days. Like, if you go back to this, it is uh, pick 87. He's dropping even more. Uh, 16 home runs last year at 95 games played. Hit 306. The average was great. But uh, the power, the games played, he hasn't played more than 134 games all but twice in his career. So um, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not paying for it. Bottom line, it's not doing it. Yeah. I'm just not sure that there's enough there for me. I mean, his career high in home runs is 26 back in 2016, right? When he played 687 plate appearances, he had the absolutely phenomenal shortened season in 2020 where he had those 15 home runs. But even with those 15 home runs, you know, they required a 21.7 home run per fly ball rate, which is much higher than he's had at, at any point in his career and about, you know, five, close to 6% higher than his career average. I think it was hard hit right that year. My goodness. Like everything was. <clears throat> yeah. Bad. I mean, everything's great. And I think the challenge with a shortened season, especially for hitters that we know is they can be absolutely phenomenal and they can also be, you know, pretty crappy. Um, so. You know, the StatCast data, as it always is with Seager, is really nice. 115.3 max EV. You know, that was actually the hardest that he's hit a pit. Uh, that was the highest max EV that he's had as well. 
Um, when you look at barrel rate, he did have 36 barrels and only those 16 home runs, right? So a little bit, a, a little bit unlucky there um, as well. 12.4% um, uh, barrel rate, you know, 15.8% in 2020. So again, the last two seasons, that elevated barrel rate, which is really nice as well. You do have the batting average, which I think should be there. You know, the contact rate did dip a little bit last year down to 73.7%, slightly below league average. The K rate did not really move along with that. So I'm not really sure why there's kind of a, there's such a huge differential between his overall contact rate and his, and what his K rate is. You know, maybe it's just a better two, you know, to uh two strike approach you know maybe it's the three two count i mean we could we could do our our usual looking at the three two count splits for one Corey seager we're going to do that every single um episode there's going to be one lucky player every single episode that gets well he did have a an elevated walk rate for you know his o swing as well so i would not be surprised if there was something there so you really you're getting a batting average, you know, slight power. You know, he should hit in the middle of the lineup, but again, most home run, you know, since 2016, the most runs he's had is 85, most RBI he's had is 87. You know, so again, you're looking what you're betting on is health if you're getting him right here and still there's not a lot to provide that huge ceiling unless he just goes absolutely uh, he goes off you know, which is certainly possible, right? We've seen guys have seasons where they just go off and like his 2020, uh, his 2020 season was. Um, all right, let's do it. Let's let's dive into these three count. His three, two count for Corey Seager. Let's see what we've got. Oh, here's what we got, Bubba. So he had a 56.3% walk rate last year in full counts. And he had a 20.8% uh, K rate. So the 28.8% K rate is on the lower side for him. Although it looks like, you know, I mean, in, he's got 33%, 29.6%, but then recently he's got 226 21.8, 20.1, uh, 21.2, 20.8 and 19%. So actually like not a huge de- uh, deviation from what he traditionally does, but with the walk rate, he got a 56.3% walk rate on three, two counts. You know, 47.6, 40.2, but more importantly, recently, 38.7, 33.3, 33.3, 32.7. So, you know, he got a little bit lucky with the walk right there. And I think the beautiful thing about projections is they'll kind of factor that in, which they mostly do. They have him at a, a lower lower walk rate than he had last year. So this is just a long-winded way of saying, you know, maybe there was some luck, a little bit of luck there with the walk and K percentage and 3-2 counts. Maybe that changes a little bit. Um you know, the BABIP was around what his career average has been. So you're looking at a really good average, kind of middling home runs. The still stolen bases are kind of, you know, they're not really going to be there for him too. And that's another question you have to ask yourself is, I'm getting a shortstop, you know, no stolen bases. Where am I going to compensate for that in different places on my team? So for all of those reasons, I think I'm, I'm out on Corey Seager. I'm not interested in him right now where he's going. Yeah, the power production, the lack of steals, that's already a turnoff for me. The injury concerns, turnoff for me. And now he's playing on a worse team. Like, he is, he's off of L.A., he's in Texas, tough ballpark to hit in. There's just so many things going up against him. It's just, uh, I've never dra- and, I've never been a Corey Seager guy to begin with because of the injuries, and it's just really not, not for me this year. 
and LA is a sneaky good hitters park. Like yeah, it's not thought of that way, but yeah, once it gets summertime, it gets loud. Yeah. yeah, and like for home runs, it's one of the better parks actually. And Rangers is not is not good. Yeah. I mean, especially it's for at or below state. league average, I think in in virtually everything. And so I think that's going to be a um, that will not be a benefit too. And I think the AL West in general has like the worst stadiums. Yeah, Oakland. it has all pitchers parks except for Anaheim. It's Rangers is bad. Houston, you think of Crawford boxes, but overall it plays as a strong pitcher's park. Uh, The A's have like the worst ballpark, probably the Mariners have like the second worst ballpark, probably just looking at it. Um, It's just not, it's just not good. And then you have Anaheim and, and and that one's good for lefties anymore. No cores anymore. No cores anymore, man. Don't trap Corey Seager. Yeah, I'm, there's like people are gonna be like, God, do you guys like any shortstops? Like, yeah, that's why we like to either get them early or get them late. There's like there's a there's a yeah, middle point true. here where it's just like, yeah. Well, and a lot of the ones we like too are second base second and shortstop base. eligible. Yeah. yeah, which is nice. And you're gonna probably want them at second base generally. I mean, exactly. If that's kind of the kicker, or just draft two of them. Go for that. There too. you go. Um, the next shortstop off the board has not played in the major leagues yet. Uh, it's Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, combined between Double A and Triple A last year, thirty-three home runs, twenty-nine stolen bases, ninety-nine runs scored, and ninety-seven RBI. It's been well documented how good this guy is. It seems like every day on Twitter, there's a new video of him just launching home runs. He's he's the real deal, and he's one of those guys. If the CBA had the you know bring the young guys up when they're actually deserved to be up, thing fixed, that'd be great. There's already rumors that ain't gonna happen, so that kind of puts a bummer on it. But in reality. Witt's one of those guys that has nothing left to prove. The Royals have been good about bringing guys up early. So you play the risk game. The risk of coming like if he was up day one, I'd be very intrigued with Bobby Witt Jr. Um, but there's that question mark that he does he come up? And right now I have zero shares. I have a feeling I'll put a build together eventually where I have some shares, but I have none at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm really unlikely, I think, to get shares of his um i think one of the things is just you know is is where he's going in drafts i mean he's going he's still very high up there and to me i mean one thing that kind of stands out and uh, james is what james anderson has said which is essentially that you know triple a pitching um was not good last year that's a very Um, good point yeah and so that may, you know, James has said multiple times on his podcast, like he's really downgrading a lot of the AAA hitters um, for that reason. And so for that reason, you know, Wit obviously has a very compelling profile with the power and speed. Don't get me wrong. And it's certainly possible he could do really, really well. But there's that piece of it. You know, he's also going, I don't know what his AAA stadium was like, but generally like AAA stadiums are kind of band boxes. He's going to Kauffman Stadium, you know, where he's going to play there generally as well. So again, the power and speed combo gives him, you know, a nice little foundation to build off of. I worry about the batting average and I worry that maybe a little bit of last year was a bit of a mirage. And I, there's just so many good shortstops that are still going, um, that are still available later on that I'm totally fine waiting. Yeah, I think that's why I probably don't have any as of this moment. But uh, I'm getting more intrigued. I'll play that because he feels like he's kind of dropping an ADP a little bit too, where he's mm-hmm, becoming more sure. reasonable of, a, of an option. Like if he gets close to like 100, it's like, hmm, like we could start making things work here. So 
it becomes a little more interesting. The final shortstop we're going to talk about in the top 15 of ADP, the 15th shortstop off the board, around pick 112 is another homeless shortstop. Carlos Correa, you know, the Houston Astros, Carlos Correa, 26 home runs, 148 games, the most games he has played since 2016, 640 plate appearances. Uh, he's good for usually 20 homers every year. That's good. Does not run at all anymore. Pretty good batting average. Um, to me, he's kind of like a poor man Xander Bogarts is the way I would look mm. at him. But I somehow with never less dropped. speed and less batting average. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> massive injury concerns yeah. each and every year. So I never draft Carlos Correa. We saw what he did last year. That's what you get if he plays every day. There's no doubting that. But it doesn't happen very often. So what do you got? Yeah, I mean, I've never been in on Correa. Obviously, that hurt me a little bit last year. But even when you look at the line, 279, like last year, you know, quote unquote career year, right, for him or like best season in a long time, fully healthy. You're looking at 279, 26 home runs, 104 runs, 92 RBIs. Now, the 104 runs and the 92 RBI are really nice. But there's nothing in that line at all that I can't um, I can't replicate later on in the draft. I feel like there's just nothing there. There's nothing special about it. It's just like the most blah line you could put out there, you know. Um, and that was his highest batting average since 2017, tied for the second highest of his career. The most home runs he's ever hit in a season at 26. Most runs he's ever had second most RBI. I mean, it was really a career year for him and it's still just kind of like, meh, I mean, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like we talk about boring players and stuff. He's not even boring. Like when I say blah, he is blah. Like yeah. you, you can pretty much pencil him in if he plays, but it's like who plays more games this year, Corey Seager or Carlos Correa? That's a fun They're one. They're both so. blah. Yeah, you know and saying? that's why I just don't draft blah until later in the draft. It's just there's so many things you can get outfielders right now, like your third pitcher, and you go get a closer. There's so like go get a catcher. There's like you know Grandal of Arsenal are still sitting there at this point in the draft. There's so many other choices than to go and get a Carlos Correa, at least in my opinion. To like we we started the show talking about team build. Tell me how Carlos Correa builds you your best team. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, it just doesn't. I hate to break it to you. If you're a Carlos Correa fan, my apologies. But there's other shortstops you can root for. So that's cool. Apologies to Vlad Sedler. Yeah. I mean, nothing. He's always been, he's always been Team Vlad. He's, he's, been, is, he's been a Team Correa for a while. Yeah, but the thing for Vlad is we don't have to feel sorry for him. He wins all the I time. I know. So he figures it out. He, he does perfectly well for himself. Yeah. All right. Uh, 16 through 25, Swanson, Cronenworth, Adamas, Taylor, Glaber, Rosario, Urias, Rogers, O'Neill, Cruz, Brandon Crawford. We'll give two guys each. Why don't you give us your first guy you're kind of targeting in this range? Yeah. Um, one guy that I like a lot is uh, is Glaber. Um, you know, I actually, his, his draft price has been moving up. I found myself drafting him a ton early on in drafts because I think he was going around like pick 180 or something like that. You know, now his ADP has moved pretty clearly up, you know, into the 140s, low 140s. So it's a little bit less of a, you know, a little bit less of an appetizing profile. But, you know, I think the thing with Glaber is he's still 25. Um, We've seen him have fantastic seasons, right? 
He had a great season in 2018 and 2019. He struggled a bit, a little bit since then. You know, one thing that I like is the steals, and I don't expect that he's going to steal 14 bases uh, again. But, you know, he is, he was one of the consequences of being dropped in the lineup is you're going to see him attempt, you know, more steals, I think. And so I think that's just one thing that will likely happen. Again, not hitting the 14 number, but like the bad X has him at eight stolen bases. ATC has him at 12. Steamer has him at the 14th, at 14. I think that might be a little bit, um, a little bit kind. But one thing about Glaber, you know, the, the plate discipline is still strong. The contact skills were actually the best that they've been, you know, throughout his career. It's just been the quality of contact that he struggled with a little bit, you know, but still 28 barrels last year, 7.8% barrel rate, his highest max exit velocity. He only had nine home runs on those 28 barrels, which is an incredibly low rate, um, as we know from thinking about that last week. And part of that might be that he goes to center and I think opposite field a lot, you know, with that power and with the dead end ball, I think it particularly impacted guys like that, but there's still no reason why he should only hit, you know, nine home runs out of those 28 barrels. So I think we see an e- increase there. And then when you look at his splits from last year, and this was actually something I was, uh, at baseball HQ, um, I mentioned there was like a panel about it and they were talking and they were kind of you know, they weren't that excited about Glaber Torres. And I was like, okay, well, what was, what was Glaber Torres's second half line? Right. In 199 plate appearances. Cause remember he was injured. He had six home runs. He had eight stolen bases and he hit 289. Yep. Right. And so if you multiply that by three, that's 18 home runs, you know, uh, 24 stolen bases with 20 289. Now I don't think he's going to steal 24 bases. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. But like, I think he's going to hit for more power than he has previously. And we know that he can tap into a little bit more of that power. Mm-hmm. The batting average should be solid with the contact wherever he is in that Yankees lineup. Like if he's hitting sixth again, it's just his RBIs are going to be better than his runs are. And it opens it up, him up to steal a little bit more often. So I really like the potential for Glaber, both the ceiling. I think the floor is, is higher than people might expect. You know, again, like even if he were to replicate what he did last year, you know, it's not a, it's not an awful season, especially if he gets to the 600 plate appearances, you're still talking double digit home runs, double digit stolen bases. And then the counting stats were just remarkably low. Like there's no reason they should have been as low as they were last year. So I think, you know, overall, I just expect a better for season from Glaber. I think he's slightly undervalued where he's going right now. He's losing value by the day because he's getting pushed up. Um, but I do like what he can do is kind of like a solid floor five category contributing guy with a little bit of a ceiling as well. Well, you're talking to the guy that drafted a ton of Glaber last year. So I know all about the the yeah. good and the bad halves that Glaber had. And I remember tw- I could, you could probably search BD Entrick Glaber Torres or just Torres on Twitter. And especially the second half, I remember like putting little like blurbs together of his last two or three weeks. I'd look at DFS, look at his hard hit rates and how he's hitting and all this stuff. Cause he looked like the Glaber I was hoping and dreaming of for a while. And you saw, like you mentioned, the second half numbers were great. Um, it, it was so kind of perplexing. Like, was he really hurt longer? We didn't know about it. What was going on? Because, like, I understand if he's not going to hit the monster home runs he hit a couple years back. But just with that first half, he just like lack of barrels, lack of hard hit. Like, everything was just like, what happened? And then all of a sudden he comes back and he's doing it again. So, it's intriguing. He's one of those guys. He's still super young. We're not talking about like a 33 year old dude or something. Like he could still 
kind of figure things out and, uh, and see where it goes. They've always been moving him around positions in the infield too. So he looks to be kind of locked in now. I, I don't blame you. I remember last year, like, I think he felt more like a disappointment because he was higher in, in the drafts. Him and the Javi were going neck and neck, play around pick 70 or 80, give or take. Now you're getting a little bit of a discount. So it's, it's very intriguing. Uh, I don't knock it. I understand. I'll understand people that don't want to trust it again, but uh there's definitely upside with Glaber, unlike some other guys we talked about. So I'm with you there. Yeah, and just looking at his rolling average, his 40-game rolling average, he had a super high ground ball rate mm-hmm. for a lot of the season. And then towards the end of the season, he started Elevator. to get that closer to, well, actually below his career average, but lower you know, lower in the mid-30s, which is really nice, which is where you want him to be. The biggest thing with him, I remember very clearly, and maybe the rolling grabs tell me I'm wrong or something, but he really needs to be more aggressive. He is so patient at the plate it's disgusting at times and um i remember the mlb network talking about it and some like some of the pros on there and stuff and he started to get a little more aggressive i believe in that uh, second half as well so we'll see how that keeps going all right my first one here at pick 130 is willie adamas and i love this because i've been team willie for a few years like we both have that he's young he's like the metrics look like he's gonna break out it's coming blah 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 what came last year in a big way, 25 homers, five steals. He even walked 10.3% of the time, which is the best of his career. Hit 262. He's never going to be a massive average guy, but the power is legit. Like he's showing it throughout his career with the hard hit rates and the barrel rates. You know, he had an 8.1% in 2019, 9.9, 11.4% barrel rate last year. Hard hit rates continue to increase. That's one thing we kept talking about. He, he was showing increases every year in the bigs, and that's what you want to see from a young player. That's like with Wander Franco. We talked about it. He hasn't shown it yet. If he like this year, shows a nice little boost in these productions, then you can start buying into the breakout more. Like it won't feel as fluky type deal. Willie Adamas to me is pretty darn legit. Like there's maybe, you know, some caution. You look at the X stats and everything are a little, little off and wonky. And, you know, he does strike out a lot still. That is, that is a bit of a concern, Um, but you know, line drive rates, heavy fly ball rates, not bad. Home run to fly ball was actually lower than 2020. Um, So it's not like he went like through the roof last year. He had 25 home runs. It's 18%, which, pretty respectable nothing too crazy uh when you're when you're looking at that from him and you know the o contacts and the o swings you know you, you probably want a little less on, on on the swing and more on the contact part but overall um there have been improvements with uh, the profile of willie adamas and that's what i love to see not to mention another guy 26 years old not too old gonna be leading off or hitting towards the top of that brewers lineup which is very very good still and he just flourished there when he left Tampa Bay. He he admitted he liked the way he could see the ball in Milwaukee compared to the drop. There's just so many little things he could see. He was happy. His face painting. Like he could, it was just a different environment for him. And he started crushing it. They were letting him run a lot. Um, I love Willie Adamas. He's one of those guys I could see replicating last year, maybe taking even a little more of a step. And we're talking about a tight a top 80 pick next year, potentially. Like, I think he's still got that skill because he's still super young. We've seen that continual development from a top prospect throughout the major leagues. He's learning in the majors, not in the minors. And so that's why it's been different for him. And I love what we've seen. Plus, we've talked about it with that NL Central, the Pirates, the Cubs, the Reds. Like they, These are great places to face, great ballparks, great teams. I love Willie Adamas. So um, I've been circling him a lot. It's fun to... We have a an ADP debate later, which I debate nearly every single draft. So I'm going to save that one till later because I love both of those guys. But Willie Adamas will be my first one. Cool. Who's, who's uh, your next one? Right. My number two, I'm going to go with uh, Eugenio Suarez, um, who's going later on. 
you know, he obviously has been pretty awful his last uh, 800 plate appearances. His batting average is right at two, right at 200. Um, but he's still hitting for the power, you know, 46 home runs over that period of time, 31 last year. As, as a result, the runs in RBI, the counting stats are decent. He's obviously not stealing you bases. There's just like some contextual things that I really like. Like I love the third base shortstop eligibility is really nice. Like being able to address both of those middle infield corner infield, I think is a real, a real nice thing to have and flexibility on your team. The BABIP has been down considerably over those last 800 plate appearances, 214 in 2020, 224 BABIP um, in 2021. So incredibly low. And in a lot of ways, it feels unsustainably low. Um, You know, like the only guy who really has those types of uh, BABIPs is Gary Sanchez. And while I have no doubt that Suarez is being shifted and that's hurting him, he is slow. Um, I just feel like there's there's room to grow on that batting average there. Continues to have solid plate discipline. The O-swing is lower than league average. Um, the contact rate and the in-zone contact rate are fine as well. They're actually, they're, they were up from last year. But I think the reason I like, I'm most excited about Suarez was the end of last year. He did really well in September. And so when I kind of look at his 40-game rolling average graphs, I can see some major differences. You mentioned um, Glaber Torres and some of the changes that he had in his approach, which actually did show up. I did look at those after you mentioned it. I thought so off the top of my head, but I couldn't remember for sure. The least period of time, the period of time when he was least aggressive, just overall was early last season. Um, And he was much more aggressive in 2019. And he started to be more aggressive towards the end of the year, closer to his three-year average, but well above where he was earlier in the year. That's for Glaber Torres. Um, when you look at uh, Eugenio Suarez, though, you know his O swing really went down. So for all of the season, it was right around thirty percent for Suarez. It dipped over his last forty games down to twenty two point nine percent. So he's being incredibly selective. Uh, his swing rate also went way down, um, down to forty point one percent. So being very selective, and his in zone swing percentage also went down considerably to 65.8% closer to his three, his three-year rolling average. And what that tells me is he's being, he's just being more selective overall on the pitches that he swings at, even if they're in the zone. Um, because I think, and I got to get this up there, but what I want to say is, um, yeah. So his in zone contact rate absolutely cratered at the beginning of this year like down at 62.5%. But then for the second half of the year, it was well above that three-year rolling average. Um, And then his overall, his in-zone contact and his overall contact rate. So what that was telling me is, you know, earlier he was swinging on at a lot of pitches in the strike zone. And when he cut down on that, maybe he was looking more fastball, rather maybe he was realizing what he was struggling with more, like within the zone, but he just became more selective. And the results were um, were much better just in terms of his overall contact rate. And then the results were also better, which, you know, you can't really always count on the results, especially just one month. Um, but in that period of time, you know, he hit 370, eight home runs, 15 runs, 13 RBI. So you're kind of hoping that he got his mojo back a little bit, even if he can just hit that second half batting average of 238, you know, with 13 home runs. You know, you're looking at a full season there. That was only 215 plate appearances. 
if he can just hit 235, 240, you know, with the third, the 30 plus home runs, he's going to be in the NL where they have the DH. So there's less of a concern about playing time. There's just so many things I think for Suarez for why he can kind of get back, not to where he has been, right? Cause what is he? He's, he's 30 years old. So he's not super old, but he's probably seen his best days. But if we can get back to that 230, 240, you know, 30 plus home run guy, I think that's a really nice, that that's really nice for, um, you know, what, where you're getting him in drafts right now. He is moving up, um, a little bit though. Um, so just something to be cognizant of. So Eugenio Suarez is a guy that I like, but he's being pushed up again. And, you know, so I may get, end up getting less of him, but yeah, I mean, if he hits that bad X projection of 241, 32 home runs, 77 runs, 84 RBI. I mean, it's just so nice. So nice. Even if he hits the ATC projection of 230, 32 home runs, 73, 83. Um, that's really nice where you're getting him right now. Yeah, he's an interesting one because, um, you know, once he he started the year at shortstop, moved to third base, seemed like he was very uncomfortable at shortstop, and then maybe he got comfortable. Also, the shoulder injury he was coming back from, and I think it was Carlos Marcano was talking about it in an Eugenio Suarez deal or not, but there was, and I know Derek Rhodes could probably pull it up. It you know, the shoulder injury he had and others have had in the past, it's like a couple years before they get back. And you saw it kind of come better towards the end of the year. Like you mentioned, it could be one of those, you get a heck of a value this year because you get to see that 230 to 240 average, like you mentioned, and all the power playing third base every day that because his shoulder feels better now. So there's a lot of interesting factors with Suarez and the fact that we saw kind of a development at the end of the year is definitely on the plus side. Um, my second guy here is Ahmed Rosario. I'm a big uh, Ahmed fan going around pick 146 right now. Kind of the way I feel about Willie Adamas, uh, the developments Ahmed has made throughout his career. He doesn't have the power of Adamas. I'm very, very clear of that. But what he can bring you is, you know, 10, maybe if he gets going, he had 15 homers back in 2019, given that was a special home run year. But um, if he gets, you know, 10 to 15 homers, he can steal you anywhere from like 15. We've seen 24 steals in 18. Cleveland doesn't run as much as others, but they do run. You know, you got Miles Straw in front of him. You got, you know, Jose Ramirez behind him. The lineup starts to dry up a bit as you go down. So it's a really top heavy lineup. But the, the, one of the things that I always think about with Rosario that surprises me is he's only 26. Like he seems like he's been playing forever and he hits for a great average 282 this past year, 287 in 2019 with like 256, 248. He's shown big improvements as he gets older, is what I like to see. Um, plate discipline's gotten a little better throughout each year, but you get, you know, double digit power, double digit speed later in the draft is like a middle infield option. I like a lot. Uh, a few other things. If you want to look at him, he has in, uh, improved his bat- batted ball quality. The barrels aren't there as much as our hit rate continues to improve with up to 43% last year, which I think is great to see on the best max exit velocity of his career. So if he keeps improving in that direction, he might run into a few more, uh, home runs and whatnot there as well. So Cleveland, not a great team. We know that very well, but he will get every day at bats. He's got, um, let me double check. I know he did last year. Now he's just shortstop only this year. Last year he was shortstop outfield. That was nice. But um, the fact you can get another kind of double-double type guy this at this point in the draft, there's not as many of them left that don't really crush you where I still think it's for decent enough average top of the order hopefully jose's there all year could drive him in like crazy i'm not i don't you can make him your everyday shortstop that's fine we talked about you know having you having miguel rojas and others i prefer rosario as my middle infielder but um i think there's a lot to like there especially if you go and take a bogarts early or something 
you can get these steals kind of late to kind of help offset things a little bit. But uh, he's a guy that I think we might see an even better see like a, a hit for him a career type season. So pretty curious about Ahmed Rosario. All right, who is one of your later targets? Yeah, one guy that I have on like I think I think I have him on like almost every single team. I should actually see this like what percentage of my teams I have um, him on is um, is Paul DeYoung. Um, I just think that, let me just check my player shares really quickly. Oh, he's not even in the top there. I have him on 66.7% of my teams. So four of my six teams so far, and I just drafted him earlier today. So I now have him on five of five of seven is Paul DeYoung. Um, he's fallen so far. I mean, he's going around an AVP of 400 and we've talked about him before. We talked about this a little bit on the review pod, I think as well. But I mean, the guy, like there was really no great change in, in anything outside of the Babbitt. The Babbitt was 216, you know, career 282. Um, the line drive rate was super low, but the ground ball rate was fine. Um, you know, the home run per fly ball was actually decent. You know, O swing was fine, right in line with his career average. His contact was actually up from 2020 you know, slightly below his career average, but right there. Um, he had a 10.6% barrel rate, you know, 27 barrels for his, you know, 19 home runs. Um, and they've said that he's going to be the starting shortstop, at least initially. And so, you know, for me, like, here's a guy that in his last full season hit 233 with 30 home runs, nine stolen bases. So there's the potential for a little bit of that speed. You know, 97 runs, 78 RBI. I I don't see a reason why, you know, he won't continue to be the starter as long as he hits like he has hit in the past. You know, even the projections right now, like they all have him at about 20 home runs, you know, five steals, you know, whether it's ATC, the bat X, you know, even steamer has him at 19 and four. And this is only in 467 plate appearances. He has struggled with injuries throughout his career. But for me, you're getting a starting shortstop, you know, on the Cardinals team. I think they're going to give him every shot to win that job and to play on a regular basis. And if he plays like he has played in every season other than, you know, last year, then I think you can get a really good player um, and a really nice value going late in drafts. Yeah, I don't mind DeYoung. I know um, Jason Collette mentioned uh, he's working with the uh, hitting coach that helped, you know, Turner and J.D. Martinez mm. and those guys get going. So that won't stink. I guess the only question is, what are they doing with Mundo Sosa? That is the question. But I like the, the power you with DeYoung. Definitely on board with you there. Uh, my other option later, and this, this is more so like a draft and hold league than probably a redraft league, but uh, Ramon Urias, second base shortstop eligible for Baltimore. Going to play pretty much every single day, which is good. He's got double-digit home run upside, 11 home runs last year. The Bad X has him for 11 again this year. You know, ATC has him for 12. Not a ton of steals, but he's going to get on a ton, hopefully hitting in front of Trey Boo Boo and Mountcastle and company. And more importantly, he's kind of a late source of batting average, 279 last year, uh, 360 in a short stint in 2020. But throughout the minors, you know, 258, 263, 260, like an average is not going to crush you. And in the minors, we've seen him, um, you know, run pretty decently, had a lot of power uh, early on in his career when he played in Mexico. That That's a Mexican league, so let's not go that far, but... You know, in 2018, 13 home runs in the minors. He's got double-digit upside, super late in the draft. Um, I, I like his upside with Urias, but, uh, again, not a redraft, more of a draft-and-hold situation, but definitely a guy 
uh, shortstop second base eligible that uh, I've been slowly gravitating to after pick 400. All right, ADP debates. This is where it gets fun. We'll start off with um, one of the tougher ones. A couple of these I think are pretty easy, especially after we discussed things on this show. But we'll start with Tim Anderson at pick 35.4 since since January 19th uh, versus Trevor Story at 35.25 since January 19th. Who would you take, Tim Anderson or Trevor Story? Ooh, this is a tough one. I mean, I think right now I'd take Tim Anderson because, you know, we kind of know where he's going to be at. Um, and we know, um, we don't know where story is going to be at exactly. Uh, I probably lean, I probably lean toward Tim Anderson. And I think that's just because I have more belief in the batting average. Um, you know, Tim Anderson is a 300 plus hitter. And if he gets you that in 550, 600 plate appearance, that can make a huge, huge difference. And I think the stolen base and the home run differential, while relatively significant, right, depending on where, what story ends up, but let's say he hits 29 home runs and, and steals like 22 bases or something like that. You're talking about maybe like a five stolen base difference, you know, maybe like a 10 home run difference, something like that. I feel like the knowledge of um, the knowledge that Anderson will hit like 300, I think that's, that's, I value that more than I do kind of having to make up five steals later on in the draft or um, make up, you know, 10 home runs or something like that, because I think that's doable um, later on. And just the overall package that you're going to get with Anderson um, uh, is really nice. So I would lean Tim Anderson right now. Yeah. I'm gonna go Tim Anderson as well. Like I said earlier, I think he's got the potential of the playing times there to be a first round talent like a, that we haven't seen him do because he hasn't stayed healthy enough to do that. But I still have kind of some small concerns with Trevor's stories so here, kind of picking at straws here. And I'll, I'll take Tim Anderson as well. I love uh, what we're seeing from him, even in his shortened seasons, and what he could become just is uh, pretty darn outstanding. So I'll go Timmy Anderson as well. Uh, the next one, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask anyways. Wander Franco at pick 59, Javi Baez at pick 63. Yeah, for me, it's Baez pretty easily here. Same for me. Same for me. Uh, the next one, Jorge Polanco at pick 84 versus Corey Seager at pick 87. Uh, it's easily yeah. Polanco here for me as well. Yeah. Polanco for me as well. I knew these two would be easy. It's weird because we don't like that middle of the deal, so picking debates was not the most fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all right. <laughs> it was, it's all right. Um, You've done such a great job. I mean, the Anderson versus Story one is – is really really good. Uh, that that's a really tough one actually for me. Like I'm I'm still vacillating back and forth of whether I made the right decision or not. Thankfully, I don't have a draft in front of me where I had to make it. Well, I'm looking forward to your answer here because this is the dilemma I have nearly every single draft. Dansby Swanson, who I love, at pick 120. Willie Adams, who I already professed my love for on the show, at pick 130. I have shares of both of these guys in a lot of places. Um, how do you break down? picking between these two um hmm let's see swanson has more steals i believe if you want to, if you want a, a real quick straw but uh yeah so, i mean i'm just looking here let's do a little comp i mean i'm leaning towards dansby yep. just because i mean the steals yeah and also like you know i think we've um i believe in the power you know, um, 
Yeah, so like Dansby has 10 more barrels, you know, despite having similar number of home runs. He has more stolen, more steals. The batting average is slightly lower, but I think we talked about his Babbitt being on the lower side this past year and the likelihood that that's going to go up, you know, along with the line drive rate, um, since it was very low compared to his career average last year. Um, yeah, I'd probably go with Dansby. I think a little bit worried about the batting average. I might give Adamas a slight, slight nudge in, in, in that category, but I think just the overall full picture, I'd probably go with, with Dansby. Yeah. I think Dansby's a little more in the steals, Adamas on the batting average. One of the kind of other separating factors could be is, we know Adamus will be at the top of the order. Dansby could hit seventh most days, and that's a, a bummer. I still have taken more Dansby shares. I'm with you. So if I have to pick one of the two, I pick Dansby. He's going 10 picks earlier, so I'm not the only one, obviously. But um, I've been faced with this one a lot, and sometimes people help me and make it easier by going and taking Dansby ahead of me or jumping and getting Adamus. That just makes my life a whole lot easier. But... I kind of like that I've been able to differentiate and get a little bit of both. I'll be honest, because I like both these guys a lot. And it's one of those things, if Dansby all of a sudden, we saw it at times last year due to injuries, the Acuna and company, when he hit at the top of the order, his game just skyrocketed. So I've said it forever. Even when Acuna comes back, either put Acuna third or Albies third. If Acuna's not running, hit him third. Like, that's fine. Have Albies and, and, and Swanson one, two, and then have Acuna third. If they somehow keep Swanson at the top of the order, that'd be... Pretty, pretty mm. nice. Pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, these were these were great examples. Just to give you a sense, like on my spreadsheet, the difference between Tim Anderson and Trevor Story is three spots, less than $2. The difference between Wander and Baez is a little over $2. Um, who was the other one? Polanco and Seeger. Yeah. It's less than a dollar. And then Adamus and Swanson is about $2. So they're all so comparable, even in what the projections think of them. It's they're really good debates because they're like they're very likely to be like you just mentioned with for you and Adamus and Swanson. Like these are going to be the debates that we're all having mid draft, and we need to know which direction we're going heading into those draft and why. Or like not necessarily you don't need to know which direction you're heading, but you need to know why you're going to go in either direction. Yes. You know, like maybe if it, if you've addressed steals more, then you're going with Adamus. And yeah, get the batting average bump with Adamus. Stuff totally. Like that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the goal on these shows to help you guys out. Like you could totally disagree with us and say, I'm taking Wander Franco. Okay, that's fine. Go for it. But we're just trying to point you of why we think the way we think to help build the way we build. Toby's very successful at this. I'm trying to be. So uh, we, we, we go our separate ways in that regards. But You beat uh, me in our, in our one head-to-head competition last year. Wasn't going to bring it up. But uh, <laughs> you get a chance to get it back this year. Let's put it that way. Um, let's get some listener questions going on here. Michael Burgoyne asks, Trey Turner versus Fernando Tatis. Do you think Tatis's potential shoulder problems aren't worth the risk? I think we already answered that. We got Turner, but we still love Tatis. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem drafting Tatis in the first round, like or drafting him at all. So um, I probably should be willing to draft him at, at, at the first pick because he is the top player on my board. But um, I think either one of those options is fantastic in the first round. And again, I'll, I'll re- repeat it real quick. Like we said, if you're willing to take the risk, if he somehow plays 140 plus games, he probably is still the best player out there. It's just a, uh, 
you know, they've said time and time again, if you just don't finally cut on that thing, it's going to keep doing it. And it's just going to get worse and worse. But maybe he proves us wrong. He's athletically freakish. So <laughs> you never know. Uh, Drew at Fru underscore Dorte asks, if you are good, if you're in good shape with stolen bases, are you still avoiding Seager because of injury and park concerns? I am. Yeah, I just don't, I don't love him. I mean, if I'm, if you, if you believe the projections, which, you know, sometimes, you know, you gotta, they give you a good starting place and you gotta analyze from there, but they, they kind of like him, you know, they, they have him as, you know, on my sheet, 88th ranked 88th ADP of 96. Now, again, a lot of times the difference there is like the plate appearances and what you anticipate um, getting there. It's just, it's really hard to be good on steals, honestly, like that early in the draft too. Like if you've addressed starting pitching, like let's say you've gotten two really good steals guys. Like let's say you've gotten story and turn. If if you've got good steals guys, they're probably shortstops already. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, but like, let's think about it. So like, what is an so example J-Ram, of like... So you get J-Ram and like J-Ram. Kyle Tucker or something. Okay, or... so you get 25 steals, but even Tucker, right? You wouldn't get those two because they're both going in the first round. So like, let's say it's Ramirez. Hey, Tucker and Albies. Say Albies somehow falls to mid-second round. Tucker and Albies. I mean, even those guys, that's like only 35 stolen bases, I think. Yeah, so you're still not... So well, like, J-Ram is like 25. Let's say you get J-Ram, and then in the next round, you get uh, Trevor Story. So let's say that's right there is 57 steals, right? Your goal, your target uh, in a DC, it's 119 is 80th percentile, right? So you still have that much to go. You're not even halfway there yet. Yeah, you're not even halfway there (laughs) yet. And then with even with JRAM and story, maybe your slight weakness again, slight weakness, not a major weakness, might be batting average at that point because you don't really have that batting average anchor because – for JRAM and Story, the two areas where you have a little bit of question marks is where the batting average is going to be. Again, it's not going to be awful, but it could be between the 250 to 270 range, right? You don't have that 290, that you know 300 guy maybe that you're anticipating. So even in that particular instance, right, you still need 59 stolen bases in the rest of the draft in order to get yourself to the point where you know where you're at 80th percentile, and so. And you know that the guys that steal bases who are available later in the drafts are going to have some serious warts, most likely batting average or power or something like that. And so I think that's the challenge is immediately like you're like, okay, I've addressed speed. I can go with Corey Seager. So you take Corey Seager there, right? Now let's assume that you've taken a starting pitcher and a closer there. And so you're either taking your second starting pitcher or... Let's say you're taking your starting pitcher then. So that's what you have. You have Seager, those two, two starters and a closer through six rounds. I don't even think that would be possible because I think the sixth round would, no, that could be possible. So you have that through six rounds, right? And so you still need, you know, like, you know, your home runs. 65 steals at least. Yeah, you still need like 65 steals the rest of the way, right? You still need to get your SP3, your SP4 in the next you know, six or seven rounds, right? So you just took Corey Seager, you address that batting average a little bit. So maybe that's like a nice build, right? And then you can target some, maybe some steals for outfield in the middle there. So I think it, I I don't know. Anyways, it's just, I think hopefully this is helpful in like thinking about what you want to think about. But I think having like a scarce mindset is really important during drafts. Like 
the minute you get complacent and you're like, oh, my steals are fine. I got like my three steals guys. Well, it also leaves you vulnerable to one of those guys getting hurt. And then you haven't addressed steals in any other part of your team. And then you're like, uh, like, well, what am I going to do here? So I just think like, that's why I w- won't draft Corey Seager is because I'm missing out on something. You know, I'm, I always want to be hyper focused on those batting average and those steals guys early on, because I want to build like, not just like I want to build broad and I want to build deep in those, in those categories so that my team can afford to miss on a couple of those guys or afford to have them injured. And I can get what Corey Seager gives me later on. Like, I mean, give me Michael Brantley at pick two forty. Yep. And then give me the Look combination. Paul DeYoung. Of, yeah, There's, I mean. The average Paul, won't be as good, but you can get everything else. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, Brantley and Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. Like, the combination of those two, like, throughout the course of a year. I mean, it's not going to be as good as Corey Seager, but is it going to get pretty close? They I mean, might play more games than Corey Seager. <laughs> I don't know, Brantley and McCutcheon. If you combine them as one in a DC, yeah. it works that way. Yeah, I mean, so it's just like. I just, I try to get the things that aren't going to be available later on, earlier on in drafts. And Corey Seager is just too early there. Like get Jorge Polanco, get Jonathan India, get Tommy Edmond, get Cattell Marte, get like, I mean, even Cattell Marte, right? Like probably better batting average, you know, pretty similar, equal home run power, um, slight edge in steals, like, I mean, just there's so many other directions to you go. Know, honestly, there. if you're not obviously if you're drafting Corey Seager, it's because you're not worried about steals. I'd wait like twenty to twenty five picks later, and that's when I would take Carlos Correa. I'd I'd rather have Carlos Correa than Seager. I know it might be crazy to some, but the 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 pick differential in a very similar profile to me. Like Correa's got more power, Seager probably has better average, neither one of them's running. So it's like, and and Correa most likely will be on a better baseball team, most likely. So um, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I'd rather have none, as we've mentioned, but uh, it, like I'd rather wait and get Swanson or Adamas right after all of them that'll <laughs> do some more damage for you. But yeah, it's tricky. Um, Aaron R asks us, who are some of your favorite targets after pick five hundred? Shortstops after pick 500. There's a few, but it's not nearly as fun as other positions. Um, I'll just go through. Um, Elvis Andrews, I mean, probably starting shortstop for the A's. A lot of shares, a lot of them. Yeah, like batting average should still be decent. You know, steals will be fine. Um, So that's one guy. I, I draft very few hitters later on, so... I'm probably going through all of this. Mainly, yeah, I mean, that's like the only guy who's really all that interesting. Um, Luis Renjifo is kind of interesting. They've mentioned potentially giving him the shortstop job. Yep. Um, and if he plays, you know, he's actually pretty decent. I mean, he's a 10 and 10 candidate. So he's a guy that I've gotten if I'm like, you know, I tried to get at least four of each position, you know, in the draft. So if I don't have four shortstops, I think I got Renjifo on like one or, or two teams. Um, you know, those are the only guys that are like kind of interesting to me going later in shortstops. I mean, Nico Goodrum, if he ends up in a spot, like so he doesn't have a team right now, 
but you could easily see him right like going to some like going to like not the pi not the pirates but some other horrible team that doesn't have a shortstop you know and like playing there and hitting in the middle of the lineup and if he does that i mean he's another 10 and 10 15 15 you know, type of guy. So those are the types of guys that I would take a shot at later on. And Goodrum is likely like if, you know, assuming he signs on with the team, he's likely to get some dual, even multi-position yeah. eligibility, getting moved around as kind of a utility guy. Cause he can play first, he can play second. He can, I think he's even played Maybe short stop, uh, third base and, and outfield. Yeah. So yeah, they can move super utility. Um, Andres, I have everywhere. So I, I like that a lot. Technically, Nick Ahmed is the starting shortstop. If you want at bats, he can, especially if you can pick when to play him, loves hitting lefties. So he's interesting. But Taylor Walls is the one I'm willing to take a chance on. If he plays enough for late steals, he will run a ton with Tampa Bay. It's just questions like when, where, how is he going to play? But uh, I know like James Anderson loves him, and I get it. It makes a ton of sense, especially in DCs. So he'd be a guy I could look at. I love the Ringifo call. If you just want boring at bats, like they're pretty empty at bats, but if I'm boring at bats, I'll see the Escobar is a starting shortstop for Washington, mm-hmm. and he leads off. Like it's like you look at his profile, and it's maybe 260 and not a whole lot else. But he's going to play every day in front of Juan Soto and company. Like he's, you're probably not going to. Your goal isn't to not use him, is what I tell people. Like he's your fourth shortstop, but if worst comes to worst, he's going to get you at bats. What are they worth? I don't know, but uh, they're there. John H. asks, is there any underlying data suggesting that Medrazario can maybe reach 18 to 20 home runs or is 10 to 12 the more likely reality? I think it's more like 15-ish. I mentioned in my thing, like the barrels keep improving, the hard hit rates keep improving, the max exit velos keep improving. He's young. I think there's signs of goodness. We saw 19 homers in the juiced ball year, but uh, I, I think you'd be happy with 15. That'd be my suggestion. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like higher end of the spectrum at this point. I think, I mean, the major issues, so like the factors that are suppressing the home runs, he has a very high ground ball rate, you know, over 50% for his career, 51.4% last year, 57.8% in the shortened season with the Mets. The lowest he's ever had is 48.3%. So he's pretty consistently, you know, in that band right there, you know, and that's one of the reasons why he also has a pretty high average is the speed and um, the number of ground balls that he hits. And I think he hits it kind of all over the park. Um, so the, the elements that we'd really be looking for is like, like, you know, lowering that ground ball rate, you know, could help him out there a little bit. You know, last year he only had 12 barrels though, you know, for those 11 home runs, you know, 2.8% barrel rate. He's at 3.3% for his career. The most barrels he's had is 20 in a season. And so if we use kind of like the 62% marker, you know, even in that particular case, you're talking about, you know, 12 to 13 home runs for him there. So I think 15 is kind of higher end of the spectrum for him. But like when you're that relatively low in home runs, you know, he could easily have that season that gets him to 17, 18 home runs. You know, maybe the ground ball lowers a little bit. Maybe, you know, he, instead of having a 9% home run per fly ball rate, he has that 11.8% home run per fly ball rate or that, you know, 10.3% home run per fly ball rate that he had. And just like even that little uptick that can be like one or two more home runs that kind of can, can kind of push him over the edge. So I think those are some of the things. Let me just quickly check right here. And I, I don't have any shares of Rosario yet, you know, and that's one of the reasons why is just because like, it does seem like there's a little bit of a cap there. 
um, on that stuff, but let's just see like if there was any changes. Yeah. I mean like even last year, the ground ball rate was up towards the end of last year, higher than his three-year average for most of the year, you know, and, and even for like a guy like that, like his hard hit rate did slightly go up like a little bit. So maybe that's a glimmer of hope. Um, if we look at, let me just quickly, well, anyways, this is all to say like, sure. He could hit something like that. I think that's in the higher end of the range of outcomes for him. I would not, I would not bet on that, um, necessarily. All right. The last question we have this evening is from buddy D Mendy, David Mendelson. He just couldn't have cheesecake having the only questions on the show. So he had to come in here. Am I crazy to think that if Witt starts the year in the big leagues, that he's a, he'll be a top 50 hitter in 2020? He's shown the ability to make adjustments fast at every level, and the home run home run and stolen base upside he possesses is dynamite. Um, real quick, before you answer that question, I just want to do something real quick for fun here, uh, just to see if we can tell Mindy something real funny on the show. Um, let's scroll on down here to good old Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt's already the 53rd hitter off the board. So top 50 things very likely if he's from the get-go. What was the question though? Will he finish there? If he starts the season in the big leagues, does he have top 50? Will he be a top 50 hitter? Oh, um, right now I'd go with no. no I'm I going with think yes. So. I'm going. Yes. You're going with yes. I believe I'm going time. with, I'm going with No. Going with no. I'm still a little distracted by this Ahmed Rosario thing. Yeah, like his average exit velocity on line drives and fly balls is 90.8, which is 118th out of 132. You know, so and I don't I don't see the the potential power boost for Rosario, but it is possible. Wit, we talked about him extensively. Yeah. I just have concerns. I think you know the one thing that he does have going for his favor is the power speed combo. If he can combine that with a higher batting average than I anticipate, then then sure thing. Um, but I have questions. Yeah, no, it's very valid because I usually am. You are similar in the same regards that uh, you know prospects. I'll pass, prove me wrong type things for the most part. That's why I have no wit shares. I've passed every time he's falling in draft now. So I'm like I said, I'm getting more curious because I believe in the power speed. I really, really do. I'm more concerned of when does he play? That's the question. That's why I've passed every time. So we'll see. But yes, for me, no for Toby. Fun one when we disagree. That's always fun. So uh, it doesn't happen nearly that often. So it's it's fun to see that happen. But uh, what are your final thoughts on shortstop? It's a, it's a fun position. It's deep, but kind of not the most uh, appealing at times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely paying for what you're getting. You're paying for the production that you're getting and, there isn't a ton of value there, but I do think, you know, there is a lot of like later round shortstops. Um, I mentioned Paul DeYoung. I mentioned uh, Miguel Rojas as a guy I have JP Crawford, you know, guys who are just kind of, you know, they're in the lineup, they're playing every day. They're not doing anything spectacular, but like JP Crawford, I think last year had 88 runs, you know, and he was going after pick 300. Yep, he didn't off. steal as much as maybe we anticipated that he would, but there's no reason he can't jump that up a little bit, you know, maybe tap into a little bit of power as he, as he, you know, gets older. So there's a variety of different kind of profiles there. I mean, even Alcides Escobar, you mentioned him like going that far late. I'm kind of kicking myself for 
not going after him because like my assumption was that he was not for some reason going to be the starter. And now I'm like, oh, if he's the starter, I, I mean, think he is. I'll double nah, check he's in roster talking. resource. Yeah. He, they haven't, they he, don't have anybody to play there. I know that. Yeah. Much. He makes like, a ton of, con- he makes a ton of contact. Like the batting average is going to be decent. He hit at the top of the lineup at the end of last year and was actually super valuable down the stretch mm-hmm. in terms of runs and stuff like that. So that's probably a miss on my part there for not having more shares of him um, later on. But yeah, I mean, it goes deep. It, it's a deep, deep position and there's a lot of different profiles to go after. Just make sure that you use, you utilize it well. You know, because like we mentioned before, like shortstop is one of those positions where you're getting your speed from. And if you don't get your speed from there, then you're going to have to figure out the first baseman or the third baseman or the corner infield or the util or a super heavy stolen base outfield, like how you compensate for that. Or just draft JT Realmuto and Dalton Varsho. That that could work too. Bingo. Bingo. That's a great way to, to wrap things up. But yeah, fun position, not as necessary as people make it out to be. But it's because the elite guys do help you in the big category that is speed that everybody focuses on. So hope the podcast helped. As always, you know, shortstop positional preview in the books. We'll be back with you guys next week with third base, the hot corner, the favorite position of so many analysts out there, which I better than we'll give it for. But uh, we'll have to see. It'll be a fun discussion on probably not so great players. We'll see how that goes. But until then, you can find Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Intric. This is Bubba and the BatFlip episode 112. Catch you guys later.